0: Good evening and welcome to another episode of the Axiom Principle. I'm your host, Dr. G. I have something uh, interesting for you this evening. I hope you guys will enjoy it. It taps into a little bit of not what I'm interested in, actually. I'm not much of a connoisseur of this particular subject, but it's something I think is important nonetheless because it's being used as a weapon. And what do you think I mean by that? Well, history, of course. Um, if you read the title, The Obsession with History and Our Negative Past, has brought up many a uh, insults to anybody that disagrees with a certain opinion or political position. But before we get into it, I have a couple subjects I'd like to cover first. And the first is, why should we care? What, what importance does history have? Sure, we have to study it. Um, all throughout our academic careers, junior high, high school, college, so on and so forth. Even in um, business, we have to study our past uh, decisions, decisions of other companies, um, successes and failures of other companies in the past to good decisions in the future. And that's you know applying history to a certain a certain extent, but it's not necessarily. The study of history. It's more of lessons learned, if you will. So the important uh, aspect we will tackle first is why study history to begin with? Well, uh, according to the historians.org is a website or the American Historical Association is what it's called. The first note that they make is history helps us understand people and societies. History is a culmination of things that we have done and we have accomplished as humans. We record history in a manner of different ways, from books to tablets to paintings on the cave walls. We have covered and recorded our past. Um, Our species is known that it's important to keep history in some fashion because we can learn from that history. We can grow as a society. We can make advancements in our technological and and sociological um, being by knowing where we've been. History offers huge and vast amounts of knowledge and information. We can understand where we've been and from this try to conclude where we might be going. So let's, let's give a few examples of this of where history has been written and it has shown us where we might be going. And we look at the religious aspect of history. Uh, let's, let's take the Christians, for example. They're usually the easiest for me to, to discuss. Many of the stories in the Bible were based on half-truths. For example, uh, the story of Cain and Abel, the first murder, essentially the brother kills a brother over a jealous rage. Essentially he was, he was pissed off and, and he slew and killed his own brother and then forever was cast out and shunned. Well, that is a recollection or a fable, if you will, of the historical significance of uh, retribution of murder. Those that kill are cast out at worst or executed by the by the tribe at best. They cannot. They can no longer be trusted. They have betrayed the tribe. They have betrayed the people of the of the land. However you want to put it. Um, in the United States, we still have the death penalty in several states. Um, anybody that kills somebody is given the death penalty, and they sit and wait for their time to die. Ironically, this is not far from reality, since we're all going to die anyways. It's just a matter of time. Well, they jumped in the express lane, so to speak. Uh, History also uh, covers and collects the tribal knowledge, if you will, of societies. What I mean by this is if you, if we again go into the Bible, for example, for an example, I should say, that it gives us insight as to the way the people thought in that particular era or that particular timeline, for for Peter and Paul and all the others that wrote the Bible to write in the way that they did, you can under kind of understand where they were coming from and what their goals were. If we jumped ahead to the Quran, um, if you've read through the Quran, great. If you haven't, just you. Uh, that way, you can better understand what I'm talking about. You look into it, and you can't go too far with about 15 different praises to Allah or praises to Muhammad. Praises are recur repeatedly. It's a it's a a demonstration of an age old tool, and that tool is to convince people that praising one's person. Is the most important thing. It pleads to the recognition that many people seek that I don't always get. In the case of Muhammad, I once made the case to a person that is now converted out of Islam after a very long conversation, and uh, he concluded that Muhammad was a narcissist if you read through the Quran you can't know God unless you go through Muhammad well if that's the case then you have to go through him and everything centers around him at that point if you believe in a God which everybody did then you had to go through him to know him that's sounds awful lot like David Koresh or any other cultist at the time uh, even new cultists you can't know the afterlife or you can't know what's gonna happen Unless you go through the cult leader. Just so happens in his time, everybody was significantly ignorant. So they were able to, he was able to manipulate the people into believing that he was the, he was the center of attention, as it were. And the focus of the entire religion. So you can't go, as I said, you couldn't find God without going to Muhammad making him the center point, the focal point of the of religion. What's fun is, is you can go through and, and read psychology of today and the things we've discovered in psychology and find out that he was a classic case of narcissism if he indeed wrote the book of the Quran. You can tell because the way, he, the way things are written is all self-centered. It's all self-centric. When people didn't agree with him, he killed them. Hence why the punishment for leaving the fold is death. If you don't agree with me and you don't li- live by my rules, you die. We can skip forward a little bit and give some other examples of how knowledge has been used. But the important thing is, is that these document, documents and the knowledge of history – is often used to make us understand where we came from. So I gave some religious examples, but let's go into a different field for, for a little while. So there are two particular fields that cover a a vast collection of knowledge, if you will, that help us understand where we came from. And by that, I mean the people, our ancestors before us, We, we all, Uh, in the skeptic realm and the more scientific, literate side of the universe, um, know about the genome project and the study of the genetic mapping back to our ancestries, back all the way back to Africa for everybody. That kind of knowledge is straight genetic knowledge, but it gives us a roadmap of where we came from. In the similar field, it's not genetics that we look at, to understand where we came from, but we can also look at anthropology. In the American Anthropological Association, they have a, uh, right on their web, right on the main website, it's uh, AmericanAnthro.org. And for the previous reference, since I forgot to mention it, is Historians.org. is the uh, other website for the American Historical Association. Um, For anthropology... It's the study of humans, the past and present, understanding a sweep of complex cultures of all humans in history, and drawn a build upon knowledge from the social and biological sciences, as well as the humanities and physical sciences. So it's essentially the study of humans, past and present. When they go out and dig up ancient sites, look at burial grounds, look at uh, key indicators, Uh, of our past, we can tell where we've been and where we're going. For example, the claim uh, that, uh, let's say, uh, the claim of, um, I'm drawing a blank. This is absolutely horrible. The claim of Moses, that he had a great exodus out of Egypt. This is a claim of history. And this history has been claimed repeatedly by every Christian across the planet. And and indeed, Jews have claimed and proclaimed this as truth, absolute truth. But Jews are smart enough to not argue with things that we find out to be true. Christians are not that smart. Neither are any other major religion for that matter. Jews being a relative minority, but they're also the oldest and the wisest of the religions. But the... um, The claim of Moses and his great exodus was debunked um, long ago. Uh, And it was found, this was not true, through anthropology. And uh, I'll just Google it real quick. Because we have... Yeah, there's there's a bunch of different sides for it. But essentially, archaeologists have gone through and, and anthropologists have gone through all of Egypt where King Ramses is supposed to exist, where this kingdom was supposed to be, and tried to find evidence of the Exodus. the The problem with it is there's, there's several claims in this story, if you remember. There's the, the Grand Flood, the River of Blood, the locusts. Now, with all three of those, you, you can't really prove it through archaeology or anthropology, because any evidence of a massive locust swarm would be gone. Um, birds would eat them up. They decay rather quickly. There would be nothing left, essentially. The claim of rivers of blood, there would be no evidence of that. The, the blood stains would long wash away. Um, there would be no blood downstream. It would, it would all wash. It would be gone, right? There would be nothing. Well, that leaves a few other claims in that story that we could test against. One of which is the death of every firstborn in Egypt. So if we go and test this claim, we could go find out if any of this is true or not. And uh, to test that, you go over to the place where he claimed and look at burial sites, check and see if there's massive grave sites of children. Lo and behold, archaeologists did that and found no massive burial or even burial of the same time of massive amounts of children. But that's not the only evidence that we have against it. The other evidence we have is the claim that Moses had a grand exodus in the first place. 10,000 Jews or something like that left, or 100,000 Jews left Egypt in a massive migration for 40 years across the desert. Well, if there were that many Jews in Egypt, because of their customs and eating habits, there would be evidence of their existence. How would that be? By their trash. You can't go through life um, eating and, and drinking to your heart consent and not leave trash around. Jews had very specific um, standards back then. and They still kind of hold these true today where they have particular rituals like the dreidel, for example. Very particular ways to make pottery back in the day. Not to mention their very strict diets of eating kosher. So there are certain animals that they could eat, certain animals they could not. There would be certain tools to separate those tools, and, and the slaughter is very particular as well. Putting all those together, you should be able to test and see if there was a colony or a massive slave ownership of Jews in Egypt. Lo and behold there were Jews in Egypt, but not in hundreds of thousands and not in the massive amounts that they had. They were there, though, which is interesting all in its own, but not to the numbers that are claimed in in the Bible or in the Torah. It's actually much fewer, and there was no exodus as far as they could tell. The other key indicator is if they had left off into the desert there would be, if it was 100,000 people, there would be a massive amount of trash just all along one road or another from the Jews on their way out. There was nothing. So the Exodus did not happen. So could we trust anything in that story at that point? This is history 101. Or you take a claim to history, test it, see if it's true. Well, that's that's one of the main uses of history, after all, is to take the story of the victor and roll it over the top of what is actually true. Paleontology, anthropology, archaeology are all studies of our past. They take a look into what is, physical evidence of what existed in our past. so that we can record everything and test the claims of our past. It wasn't until recent when we invented cameras and photos and, and the like that we could record history in real time. Before that, it was all written word. And unfortunately for many people, as the saying goes, history is, Written by the victor. Well, this is the case in many of the things that we have studied throughout the history of our lives. But that's where we get to telling half the story. We don't get the full story. We only get what the victor has told us. It isn't until anthropology, archaeology, paleontology, the people that are really interested in history and look for physical evidence of that history go in at what's left To determine what is true. In the case, for example, let's move into the modern era, um, 1930s and 40s and 50s, when Stalin had took office and basically took over all of Russia, making the Soviet Union. He erased his competitors from history. In particular, he took Trotsky and any photo any album any work that he wrote everything that he did in the, he deleted he had they had made a way to photo edit essentially people out of pictures he would go through and delete trusky out of pictures delete any books that were written about him or by him delete and rewrite any history book that was about his enemy, his favorite enemy. Just completely rewrite him out of history. It was only those that were on the outside that kept track of any of this. So those that study paleontology, anthropology saw this, kept record. And now we know the full truth. Thanks to the inventions of our, uh, current our current humanity I guess you could say so that's how science in particular has improved our records of history no longer can the victor write history because everything is recorded in today's modern world we have the The word of post-truth being declared the word of the year where truth doesn't matter. It's only emotional response that does matter. That's exactly what that means. We have this idea that there is fake news, which is interesting because news is trying to record present history, present time history. But when they lie, what are they doing? They're presenting a false historical record. Because they can't tell it in real time. They can't say this is happening now. They have to say this has happened. For example, the claim that the Russians have somehow infiltrated and hacked our entire voting structure and and used propaganda against the Clinton Foundation, and Clintons in particular, was established by hearsay. It was given to somebody in the news organizations... By somebody anonymous. I've heard this story before. Over a hundred people had witnessed the rise of Christ out of his tomb. No names. All anonymous. And we only heard it from one person that claims to know the story. Well, the Russians have infiltrated our society and given us propaganda and changed people's minds and turned everybody against uh, against Clinton and uh, leaked her emails and hacked the DNC so that Trump could win not to be a Trump supporter but I think he's an idiot personally he's a dumbass and he's going to fail on his own accord He'll do. I have a prediction he'll do something so monumentally stupid that he'll get himself impeached but um, as of yet he's not done something so horrendous that Warrant impeachment. Yet, that's a that's a big yet, at least in my view. However, what has happened in these claims in modern times is they've turned the recollection of history on an on a uh, on its head, with very specific uses to claims of knowledge. There's, there's a huge problem with that. When history doesn't align, later down the road, when historians, historians decide to take a look and write a full documentary and let everybody know exactly what happened, they'll be able to dig in and say, no, this didn't happen. No, this didn't happen. It was all a freaking lie. And it's already too late. It's already influenced and manipulated and changed the course of our civilization. But at least we can look back and say, well, this happened. Why is it important? Well, there's also this other saying that history tends to repeat itself. The reason why history is so important is so that we don't repeat our past mistakes as a species. We have many mistakes to look upon and say that was probably a really bad idea. Slavery being an example, genocide being another. It's not a good idea. These are history lessons we must never repeat. But history is also written by the victor, as I said. In today's age, it's attempt to suppress the truth and put forth a narrative that's all their own. This is the same tactic that has been used throughout the years. The problem is everything is recorded now. Everything is recorded. There is nothing that is uh, lost upon or missed by anybody. Case in point recent release of the Vault 7 archives have shown many a thing about what is being done to the American people and abroad. We have uh, tools being released um, that uh, I know from personal experience are, are very effective. Not to say that I've used them. I just happen to have worked in that particular field of cybersecurity and know how these things work. They, they are quite effective. And if you want to silence somebody, if they know the truth about the historical things that are going on, the best way to silence them is to make them disappear, which means to end their lives. This has been used throughout history, and it's no different today. So those were able to release things that are true and then run away. It's probably a good idea to believe them, especially when the powers that be want them dead or want them in jail or want them imprisoned or whatever, because the information is damning. This is the thing that I think many people miss. The role of history being weaponized is to be able to rewrite history as you see fit. When you go along and use history as a weapon, you're either going to rewrite it so that it fits your narrative or are you going to use the ignorance of history against other people? And I'll get to that part in a second. But rewriting history is a bigger point. In today's modern era, it's really difficult to rewrite anything because everything is caught on camera. Everybody has a cell phone that has a camera on it. There's not a thing that anyone can miss that wouldn't be recorded in some, in some fashion. Emails get leaked, and we can get those emails and read them. What's fun about that? is um, when they get leaked, I want you to notice that no one really... For example, I'm going to use this as an example again. The the election for, for Donald Trump versus Clinton. The DNC's emails got leaked. This is historical information. This is conversations that had already occurred. These are uh, notes of our past. Recent past, mind you, but past nonetheless. And this information came out and instead of attempting to refute what was in there, they complained that it was leaked in the first place, meaning that the information is legit, and their initial response reaction was try to silence. There's an important thing to understand about the human psychology when it gets when it comes down to being caught with their hand in the cookie jar, and that is the first gut reaction if they are in the right and they have done nothing wrong is to say that's a bunch of bullshit and defend themselves in according to saying, that's a bunch of BS, and this is why. This has never happened, and they can, they can substantiate that. However, if they did do something wrong, and they're well aware that they did something wrong, the first thing that people usually do when they get caught doing something wrong is blame somebody else, attack somebody else, or shoot the messenger, as it's called. You immediately point finger at the person accusing you in order to try and deflect from the initial issue of you doing something wrong in the first place. We saw this with the DNC where instead of questioning the validity of these emails, but once they were questioned, of course, they said they were fake. Initially, their gut reaction, their first reaction when they were asked about them was well, who released them? Why should we trust them? We don't trust the messenger, which is WikiLeaks And we need to shoot that messenger, basically, and try to destroy their credibilities. That way, it's not true. Unfortunately, that is a tail sign of doing something wrong and trying to rewrite history. Now, there's another aspect I wanted to get to about historical events and people weaponizing them. When you attempt to weaponize history, what you do is either rewrite it, as I've said, or you try to use it against somebody in some fashion. Uh, Characterization or comparisons are typical, especially when you compare somebody to somebody horrendous. Case in point, Trump is literally Hitler. According to many people, this is absolutely true. There's only one way that I could see that this would absolutely be true, and that's if somebody doesn't know a damn thing about Hitler. Unfortunately, some of us that are not exactly normal studied every leader throughout history to understand how they got into power, why they got into power, how, what their, what their tactics were, were they good leaders? Were they not? Well, in my particular field, since I'm a doctor of management and organizational leadership, I study leaders throughout the world. One of the most fascinating ones that I've ever studied was, was Hitler. I I read, uh, there was a, Um, I guess you could call it a meme. It was really not a meme. It was a kind of a comparison. You would see leaders around the same time. uh, For example, one cheated on his wife 12 times during his leadership reign, was a smoker, avid drinker. Uh, Another one smoked cigars, cheated on his wife twice. Another one had mistresses, was a smoker and drinker. Another one, uh, killed his best friend, smoked, and had a harem. And yet another never drank, never smoked, and never cheated on his wife. Now, I bring up these particular characteristics because they're often associated with good or bad leadership. Smoking is technically bad, you know, bad for health, at least today's standards. Drinking is usually seen as a pas. that... You drink in excess, you're a wino, you're kind of useless. It, it has a taboo to it, even though most that, that taboo has steadily been slipped away. And then there's the cheating. Um, anybody that's a cheater is usually not considered somebody trustworthy. And there's still taboo on that, fortunately, because it's not a good thing to do. Well, the one that never smoked, never drank, and never cheated on his wife was Hitler. So by those standards, he would be a good person. But we all know he's not. That's just one example of, of things that seem to be one way but yet aren't, and we can look at the history to figure that out. So you, if you wanted to understand what Hitler is like, you have to go listen to him. Nobody wants to. Understandably, nobody wants to. But I would encourage people to take the time. Listen to what he actually had to say. You may be appalled by his actions, and they obviously didn't work, and the things he did was absolutely atrocious. He was a very evil person by any objective means of standards of measuring evil. However, if you study what he has done, how he did it, and how he came into power, you'll be able to tell if somebody else is being just like him. For example, Hitler was a white, he wasn't a white nationalist. He wasn't a white supremacist. He wasn't anything like that. He was a national socialist. He believed in the German people, essentially. Just so happens Germans are white, for the most part. They're white and blonde hair. They're Nordic descent. Um, And so people often mischaracterize and misassociate Hitler with white supremacy. He wasn't a white supremacist. He was a national supremacist, if anything, national socialist, to be exact. So his nationalism was about Germany. Well, uh, if we look at the two candidates that we had to debate and go listen to their speeches, go listen to their debates. One wasn't a, really a nationalist. He's op- one was open to free trade. One was open to open borders. That was Clinton, not a nationalist characterize trump as a nationalist he's all about america he wants to make america great again because he doesn't think that it is that's the same thing hitler said he felt that germany and the treaty of versailles was very much shutting them down and uh he wanted to make germany better or great again as it were so there's a similarity there you can almost make a polar similarity however that's pretty much where it ends because Trump is not by any means a socialist. He is a capitalist. He is about equal opportunity. And it's very obvious in the things that he's tried to do so far, or tried to do, excuse me. Granted, he's made a lot of stupid mistakes. And it's only been a month, but he's made quite a few already. However, he's definitely not socialist. He does not give a crap about socialism. He's also against Marxism. Ironically, so was Hitler. Hitler was against Marxism. However, Hitler was for socialism. In the broadest sense, he wanted to see the German people all equal in every playing field. That's not how it ended up because socialism has never worked in any country that's ever been developed to try and get socialism to work. It never, ever, ever works. And there's reasons behind that, but that's for a different show. we have a comparison here where there are some similarities but not quite enough because the things you hear out of Trump's mouth are pale in comparison to things you heard out of Hitler's no one's taken the time to take a look at either one and do a staunch comparison they take what they've learned in the textbooks which is now politicized it's dumbed down, it's The history books of today that people learn from pale to reflect upon the actual history that has been the the U.S. or the the human species. That's another huge problem that we have is that the politicization of history has essentially removed truth from history. We have we have negated many of our pieces of history to um, remove things that were offensive. For example, a, a change in the Texas history books made it so that um, one of the presidents was not so racist, um, even though he was clearly clearly racist. Um, tried to change some of the quotes about. Um, The Africans that were bought from other Africans and from the Muslims over in the Middle East and tried to make it seem as though the Muslims didn't sell Africans and the Africans didn't sell Africans, that they were stolen from the land. Um, Not entirely true, unfortunately. Or actually, fortunately, in that case, it's better to know the truth than to know fiction. But the idea is that we've rewritten history on political lines based on ideological positions that have no reflection of truth. They're all reflection of feel. When that happens, you distort reality in a sense that you no longer know what is true in our historical standards. There's nothing to learn there at that point because your your history has been distorted. If you do try to take a lesson from history, it is the wrong one because it's not the accurate one. So that distortion of um, history essentially weaponizes history to the benefit of those that were trying to take or keep power. Now, I I ran across this other website, which is um, rather entertaining because I found that it's um, completely biased. It's uh, uh, very obvious to me that it is biased. Just reading down for pieces of it, um I could tell that this was written by somebody that really wants to say that uh the entire history has been rewritten in a in an inaccurate light and therefore, you know, America's based on racism and sexism and misogyny and blah blah blah. Definitely a regressive social justice site. History is a is the one I'm referring to. I've read through much of it uh, this evening. I found that much of it is actually. Um, it's. It's references, for example, are flawed. So there, there's a, there's a show I'm going to be doing here shortly about how to determine what is true and what isn't. And so you can dissect a website or a piece of information and look for things that help you determine if it's true or BS. Basically, fine-tuning your bullshit-o-meter. And I found that this site was inaccurate for a variety of reasons. It did... uh, it did get on some very good points, and it did polls for some history, but then it put in personal reflection into that, which is never a good thing, and also distorts the recollection of history. Personal reflection is never an accurate description of history, but only a uh, an attempt to understand and apply history. So two things that I want you to take away from this, how, you, how history can be used as a weapon is by distorting history using political means to destroy the history books, which creates a generation that does not know what history is or does, has a, an inaccurate picture of what history is. Case in point, the literature on Hitler in particular has very been dumbed down to say that he was a white supremacist when he was not. He was a nationalist, uh, German nationalist and a socialist. All one has to do is actually go read his book and read anything surrounding him, even the propaganda pieces. He's also a very good speaker and manipulator. He was able to get the entire German people behind him. That's a a rather large feat, I must say, if you're going to go slaughter millions of people in gas chambers and have people convinced they're doing the right thing. That's sadistic and evil but all the while impressive and something we should learn to make sure that no one else is able to do that as well so we can see the indicators and things that that give people a clue on what to look for out of crazy people but then we also have the distortion of where uh, older history anything that's Before the recording and the ability to take pictures. All that's left there is written history. This is written by the victor. So to gather an actual and accurate picture, we must rely on other tools. The written word or the pictures that were drawn into cave drawings. But we have to rely on anthropology, archaeology, and paleontology to determine whether or not this stuff was true. We can also get a relatively good picture of how people lived, but not necessarily understand how the societies functioned or or any of the customs that might have been thereof. We can get a very good glimpse into these things and make a good speculation based on other things that were in the area, but never an accurate picture. Our true history has been started to be documented um, maybe 100, 150 years or so now much to our own technological advances this has also been an achilles heel of anybody that has tempted to use the tried and true weapons of rewriting history to their advantage or distorting history in so much to say that they're right and everybody else is wrong and this is where education has failed us in education killer Going through elementary, junior high, high school, uh, resources that go to history and attempt to portray things that people need to know are distorted. I know this for a fact, having uh, had to uh, re-educate, if you will, certain teachers who, for my own sons, for example, were inaccurate in the information they were about to deliver to the class. Um, one area in particular. Um, in particular, I, I've studied religion in depth. Many religions, all the living religions. I've read, most, uh, I've read the Quran, I've read the Bible, I've read the Torah, I've read the sutras, I've read the Vedic scriptures. All of which are have some beauty and have some disgusting pictures of just vile, nasty. Um, but that's religion for you. At any rate, they were – the teacher was about to give a presentation on Buddhism, and I asked the teacher, well, because it's a religious topic, they emailed out and asked, is this okay for your child? Because apparently, you know, they're trying not to get sued now lately that, you know, since they're uh, portraying Islam and telling people about Islam, apparently Christian people like to flip out and sue the school. They can't be teaching my kids about Islam. You're trying to indoctrinate the children. Unfortunately, Islam is a part of our past. 1,400 years ago, Islam was created. It is a part of our current history and our ancient history, if you will. I mean, the year 700 is ancient to me, so it could be considered that. So... When uh, the teacher asked if it was okay, I said, yes, it's okay. By the way, tell me what you're going to say about these particular subjects, about Islam and about Buddhism. And she told me, you know, Islam started in 700, just going to cover the facts. I'm like, all right. And then Buddha was a god and so on and so forth, and that's their god. And I was like, okay, well, you're inaccurate there, and let me tell you why. And here's the references to it. And you directed own information and in follow the school book. The school book was the one that was wrong. So this is one teacher I was able to help. However, how many teachers are using the same school book and have inaccurate, um, unsubstantiated, and false claims against particular things they want to color in in a particular negative way? Buddhism is often seen as a peaceful religion that is very much against all the others. Mainly, it sees all the others as children, while theirs is the accurate way to go, because they're all about nonviolence, inner peace, that type of thing. It's very There's no outgrouping other than to say, don't surround yourself with unwise people, for they will drag you down. In other words, if you're hanging around with a crowd that's a bunch of stupid assholes, don't hang around the stupid assholes and find a better crowd that will help you become a better person. Relying on our social aspects of sociology to... Empower and better yourself. Ironically, this aligns with psychology. You you surround yourself with people that are either equal or better than you, and you learn from those people and gain knowledge and and grow as a person. If you surround yourself by a bunch of shitlords that do nothing but get in trouble or go to jail, guess what's going to happen to you? You will, more than likely, follow suit. So uh, education in this particular sense, when it comes to inaccurate information, has failed everybody. It doesn't matter who they are. Whenever somebody in any field decides to get a hold of a history book and change things to make the view suitable for their particular ideological reasons, have essentially distorted history in a way that makes it inaccurate thus making it useless you can't glean something from history when the history that you're given you are being given is incorrect you're, it's like trying to learn Aesop's fable backwards the fable's not there because the story is wrong and this is what it comes down to in my closing remarks here in this hour segment, since we got about 12 minutes left, I'm going to leave you with a punchline, as it were. It comes down to ignorance. We have four fantastic fields, uh, four fields, I should say, of study. The first one being straight-up history, American history, global history, um, written history across the world, Multiple collections fairly objective when it comes to delivering this information, but they're not in history books. anything that's government run tends to be steered toward whatever political um, political ideology happens to be in power at that time so when the for example when the uh, when languages taken out to make it so that America looked a little bit less racist was taken out of the books it was when the Democrats were in charge they were more concerned about being people being offended than people being taught accurate information that's what it came down to Uh there's also other fields that we should take a look at they're not as I mean, you can watch a good documentary on like World War Two or the pyramids of Egypt how they were made. That thing, you know, they're pretty interesting. Anthropology is not one of those top subjects I'd like to put into that bucket. Well, and studying anthropology when it comes to like the society of the Egyptians and the Egyptians and. Um, you know, the ancient Nordic tribes and how they behaved and that type of thing. There's some really interesting things there. Um, but it's all based on three other fields. With, uh, well, it's an it's, uh, it's attempt to take these other fields and put uh, like an overarching view of humanity on top of it. The first field is linguistics. And linguistics is not just a part of speech, but it is also the part of the written word. So uh, our writing on tablets, on the walls and everything, coupled with um, the current way people speak, can be reflective on the ways people used to speak. If you try to regress um, somebody's uh, vocal, um, well, somebody's language when you try to regress it back to an earlier form. And there's a lot behind that that makes it quite interesting. But the uh, linguistics area can give us a view on culture more than people think. It's not just words, but it's how you say things and how that message is conveyed and why it's conveyed that way. They can tell you a lot about culture, where it came from. The next section that I find very fascinating actually is the section of archaeology where you have circumstantial evidence in anthropology and linguistics where you have um, an attempt to piece a puzzle together. Archaeology is the puzzle pieces. Archaeology is the the physical evidence of things that were. There's no other best way to put it then uh, it's not an Indiana Jones show where he's diving into a temple and everything gets destroyed on his way out. It's the study of history in a very careful sense. For example, they found the statue of Ramses, finally, through archaeological digs. This is pretty substantial. If you're going to find a massive statue of where a civilization once stood, that's going to say a lot about that civilization when you find the thing. be able to see the physical evidence of them existing and any physical evidence of the way they lived in that location, down to their pottery, the way they did things, the way certain people liked certain things, um, the way they ate, because there would be remains of the food. If they ate animals in particular, that stuff will be there. It'll be a very telling thing, the further you know. Archaeology is the most interesting of our history tools, precisely because it is the physical evidence of anything that's been claimed to be historical. Of course, this is only applicable to uh, things prior to when photographs and videos were invented. Prior to that, if we can dig it up, we can show you how things work. The next n- interesting one is um, paleontology. Paleontology is the uh, digging up of the past and studying of the bones, in particular, fossils. So this will tell you things about, as I said, when you're filtering through garbage, you be able to tell what kind of species that garbage is. And you're talking about animal remains where they slaughtered whatever to eat. You can tell by the diets and by the written language, the linguistics of that particular culture, when they wrote down the types of things that were permitted or not permitted to eat, it would show up in their refuge, not their poo, but the trash. Like you got to throw the bones out, for example. Um, You got to throw certain plates away or whatever, you know, the things that are broken. Well, that stuff's going to have some forensics and evidence on it. You can dig all this stuff up and learn so much about our history through digging it up and checking it out. And it's particular fossils that, that uh, give us a very good view into our past. Now, each one of these main core, I call them the core historical tools, linguistics, paleontology, archaeology, and anthropology. These four basics will give us the tools we need to feign off ignorance. Coming back to the axiom principle, when somebody presents a truth as a universal, and uh, just a truth that should be known, based without any evidence. Well, when somebody claims a, a thing in history, anything in history, there's going to be physical evidence to substantiate that claim. It doesn't necessarily need to be there. You know, we can believe it just because of believing on merit. People can claim that Muhammad existed. We can say that this is self evident because there's a book, right? Not necessarily is it self evident because he didn't actually write the book himself. However, there is physical evidence of his existence. They have his physical body, he didn't go anywhere. They have. Um, documentation of him in places. There's other countries that have documented his occupation and his attacks and his spread of Islam, as it were. We know the names of his wives. like We know names of people that have seen and heard him. Unlike Jesus, where we've heard a hundred people that one dude told us were there, but we have no recollection thereof, and there's no physical evidence to substantiate that claim. We could we could say that Jesus existed, and this is an axiom of part of the axiom principle. This is declared as a universal truth, and we should just accept it without evidence. Well, there is a saying in philosophy: the absence of evidence is not necessarily evidence of absence. This is true. Absence of evidence is not necessarily. However, absence of evidence, when evidence is expected to exist, is evidence of absence. The case in point in Jesus. Claim to be existing, we got locations, we got names. Nothing collaborates it and corroborates it. Not in the four main fields of disciplines that we can dig up truth of our history. Nothing. So what does that say for those claims? It says they're probably false. In today's age, when we go to apply the same philosophy to try and feign ignorance on things, well, when somebody stands up and says, Hitler is Trump, Trump is Hitler, just flat-out claim. And you should just take it without evidence because he seems an awful lot like Hitler. Three us? because we have documents that are not skewed. We can go listen to Hitler's speeches translated from German to English, and we can do a direct comparison. Is that true? Is he Hitler? No, he's absolutely not Hitler. They got nothing alike. He is not eloquent. He is not a great psychological manipulator. He did feed on the uh, feelings of the disenfranchised, the ones who want change were never delivered. Change by Obama. They they've seen their own jobs slip away, and they're they're frustrated with that. But the situation is not different. Germany was put under the boot, as it were, by the rest of the world from World War One. So Hitler stood up and fought back, essentially. Well, there's nothing to fight back in in the plant of the American people. There's no war. We're not under attack. We're not, we're on the top. Relatively. I mean, there's things we're not good at anymore. And I blame that on ignorance, but we'll have discussions about that another time. Essentially this whole claim, this fight, this thing for the current presidents, the, um, the fake news, the narratives we've seen come out the, the ignorance of Vault 7, all that kind of fun stuff. It comes down to the American people, the average person just not knowing enough. It's, it's, a, it's a place of ignorance that we need to fight against. And that's where it comes down to you, people just need to know the truth episode i'll be toss i'll be discussing um that subject in particular claims of truth and the record of the media and how to discover truth yourselves so come into the next episode i hope you'll be there or i'm going to try and teach people how to determine what is or is not true based on objective measures if if you're anybody that respects the scientific method or any other method that has determined what is true and what isn't true, and not relied on things like faith, this episode will help you give some tools to learn what is and what is not true. So, with that, I would like to thank everybody for turning into this episode of the Axiom Principle. I'm your host, Dr. G, and I appreciate your uh, listening. Please tune into my YouTube channel, under Zergbait 200. I've uh, been slacking on there, but I have a lineup of about 30 different episodes that should be released. And uh, as always, I'm updating my website. So thank you very much. And this is the after show of the Axiom Principle. So, as I was talking about, the claims to truth, the record to the media and how to discover the truth yourselves is what I'm going to be covering my next episode. Uh, to give you a little description, you often hear the phrase, the truth is, and I'll have some uh, examples of that. Usually the mainstream media is the one that's trying to claim what the truth is. Or you hear it from things like Alex Jones, is claim demons are um, possessing people and, and other crazy batshit nutsoid, stuff like that. Uh, well, the problem is in, in our education system, there is a huge gaping flaw and that includes public, private, charter. doesn't matter. People are not being taught how to think critically. People are not being taught how to use critical thinking, how to use objectivity, how to use uh, political arguments or determine what is a fallacy and this knowledge is being lost somehow it wasn't until my last two years of college in my doctoral degree that I learned specific things I kind of had a general idea how to sniff out bullshit but it wasn't until I got down there that I learned specific ways to combat the idiocy and just really dissect somebody's words to understand what they were saying and determine whether or not they're telling me the truth or not sniff out bullshit. I've always been a good reader of people. Like I can look into somebody's eyes and pretty much tell the character of a person just by looking at them. And I'm usually spot on. It's pretty eerie. Um, However, the, uh, the loss of this objectivity and objective truth is disturbing. And is part of the problem when you have people come on TV and claim somebody like Milo, Milo Yiannopoulos is a fascist, a gay Jew, I don't, it doesn't even care. You know, sa- fascism is associated to Hitler and Nazis, of course, because they're stupid. And that's, that's how stupid people run. They just connect the dots and roll with it. Um, Milo has spoken against violence. He's spoken against people using violence. He's spoken... Um, uh, about thinking clearly and being objective. But then you got some lady that has no problem beating people up in the street calling him a fascist while using fascism. The objectivity is completely lost. And the scary part about this is she's a school teacher. What kind of straight school teacher in their right mind calls somebody a fascist while using fascism and beats people up on the street because she can and it's on TV and it's on tape? I mean, you can't dodge out of this. You're caught using violence to shut somebody up. That's fascism. But somebody else is a a fascist for not using violence and trying to speak. Or claims to inciting violence. Well, I've listened to Milo's speeches. Yes, he has said stupid things about um, pedophilia. He wasn't really defending them. He just didn't want to name names. And that would be for his own benefit. Basically, he didn't want to get burned by these people. They would destroy him, give him ammo to just drive him under the bus. Unfortunately, he gave somebody else ammo for drive somebody else drive him under the bus. Plus, he displayed straight-up Stockholm Syndrome with his incident because he is a victim of pedophilia, not a pedophile himself. It's ridiculous. But not to defend him so much, but when you paint him as something he's not, you're rewriting, attempting to rewrite history, claiming he was saying things he's not. Well, this episode, I will show you how to be objective, even when you're hardened and think they're full of crap. It is always good to be right, because when you're right, you can make good and ethical decisions. Never assume you're right, but always guess that you're wrong first. It was, um, I believe... Let me look it up real quick. Since I, I have your attention. I think it was Bertrand Russell that said this. So I'm just going to. Yeah, it's Bertrand Russell. And it was called The Paradox of Fools. And he said, the whole problem with the world is that fools and fanatics are always so certain of themselves. And wiser people are always so full of doubts. This is true today. Those that so sure that that Trump is the next Hitler and that Nazism is taking over and white supremacy is real and the patriarchy is taking over society and, and evil, 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 insert evil and do evil. They are so certain of themselves that they will carry out their mission regardless. Fortunately, the wiser of us question everything, including ourselves. Are we actually certain? It was Socrates, Socrates, however you want to pronounce his name, that uh, questioned knowledge itself. Whether knowing or not knowing was truly real. That kind of skepticism is in dire need. And I hope next episode I give you some tools how to, how to navigate through that skepticism. I hope to also have a special guest on that will walk us through that. Um, a good friend of mine that I've come to uh, enjoy conversation and hopefully uh, it'll be a good episode. So I will see you next time. And thank you again for joining me on the Axiom Principle.